0: Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Y'all pray for me this morning. I'm sick. Uh, I've either got the flu or some bug I brought back from Africa. Uh, I don't really know how those bugs feel, but something's up. Speaking of Africa, we were over there for a couple of weeks, and uh, man, God's doing big things in Africa, and largely because of North Monroe and Wade and Barbara Aikens and what they're doing in planting churches. It's just really amazing to see how many churches, thousands of churches have been started, and tens of thousands of people have gotten saved. We went over to teach the book of Romans to bring some doctrine because, uh, you know, one guy said, we're a mile wide and an inch and an inch deep. And so it was interesting as we taught Romans, we taught it in Uganda, and then we went over to Kenya and taught it in Kenya to about 200 pastors. And if you think about that, that's thousands and thousands of people uh, represented in those 400 pastors we taught. But uh, man, it was like light bulbs coming on all over the room. And you know, we saw evidence of all the investment that you guys have made and in infrastructure and helping them develop micro businesses so that the pastors can carry on their work. It's just real encouraging. And I wanted you to be encouraged by that, to continue to pray for Africa and continue to pray for East Africa in particular, where you guys have made just a, a phenomenal difference. Um, I was super encouraged by it. Um, so, yeah, keep that up. And we need more people to go over and teach, Romans and Ephesians. So some of you guys, we're going to be hitting you all up for that, okay? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time of worship. Uh, Blake and that team uh, do it as well as anybody. And I just thank you for their giftedness and how they apply that gift uh, to you. I pray that you'd give me the strength um, just to be faithful to you this morning as we open your book. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's get our Bibles out and go to Ecclesiastes chapter nine. We're still in Ecclesiastes. The title of this series is Why Am I Here? And that's really the question Solomon was asking. It's big question issues in Ecclesiastes. It's really a postmodern book written 3,000 years before postmodernism. And it really resonates and speaks to where we are today because it's so filled with despair and discouragement and all of the things that kind of plague us today. And in chapter 9, what we see is him pushing for a different perspective, and I want to talk about that for just a minute, because here's one thing I've learned in life. You will see what you're looking for. A lot of us think that we live these independent lives and that we see objectively all the time, but in reality, our bias informs our perspective, and our bias will often determine what we really see. Now there's a lot of little ways to show this. I brought an illustration with me this morning and and this is one of several types of these things. I think it's one of the best. Um, It's a a, a little video clip uh, demonstrating how what you see is what you look for uh, because what they have are a series of words on one side and they have this sound being played. And when you read the word, you'll hear the sound You'll hear the sound say it, so rather than me talk about it, let's see if we can't get it up. Now watch how this works. And just kind of let yourself go through each word. (laughs) That is embarrassing. That is embarrassing. Is it working for you? I can I hear everyone. That is <laughs> Some people have a hard time with baptism piracy That is embarrassing. That is embarrassing. What you're seeing is how your bias informs your perspective. Like you hear you hear this sound, but when you read the word, that word forges your bias, and then that's what you hear. And all of our life, we're conditioned like that. We may not think that's true, but the truth is you see what you're looking for, and our biases play a strong role in our perceptions. That's why when you buy a new car... You drive it off the lot, and what do you start seeing everywhere? The car you just bought. It's like, hey, I thought I bought a car nobody else has, and you see that car everywhere because you now have that car perspective in your head. And this is really at the core of of what's driving the chasm between us as people here in America. This is really a, a huge problem of our time because, our biases are informing our perspective, and we can't realize how that's working. For example, if you are looking for racism, you will find racism everywhere, everywhere. If, on the other hand, you're looking for injustice and anarchy and lawlessness, you will find examples of that everywhere. And, and here's the, the, the sad part is the news media outlets are playing to these biases, because they know that their viewership is is uh, determined by the bias that they have, and so when they write a news story, they're going to play into that bias, whether it's a very liberal bias or whether it's a very far right uh, bias. It doesn't matter because what they're doing is they want to hold on to their constituency. Politicians are doing the same thing; they're playing into our biases because they know that they're not going to get elected by persuading people in the other camp to come over and vote for them. Instead, they want to inflame their base because if they can inflame their base, then their base is going to turn out the vote and they're going to get elected. And the net effect of this is a deeply divided country because everybody is looking through a very narrow lens of perspective and that affects what you see. So we see what we're looking for. There's a second side to that. You become what you see. One guy said, man becomes what he thinks about all day long. Jesus said it like this. He said, the lamp of the body is the eye, which is an odd thing to say because the eye is really a lens. A lamp is something that produces light. A lens is something that simply receives and interprets light. But Jesus says the lamp of the body is an eye. I mean, the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is dark, then the whole body is filled with darkness. If, however, the eye is dark, light then the whole body is filled with light and if the light that's in you is darkness how great is the darkness that's what he said and what he was really saying is what you look at is what you see and what you see determines who you are so if your perspective is on uh, you know darkness and you know depression and despair and all the things that go with it then that's what you're going to see everywhere And this is true of every phase of life. And it's really central to understanding why different people can go through uh, very similar circumstances and one lives with this optimism and enthusiasm while the other one lives with this cynicism and despair. And this is why Ecclesiastes is so important to us because the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, has started with the perspective life under the sun. That's the whole theme of the book. He's trying to construct meaning, purpose, and value without understanding God or having God in that picture. And so it's a naturalistic, fleshy perspective that that he's coming at us with. And his net conclusion is always meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And he comes away with the same sense of despair that we see in our time. Because he has limited it to the same perspective we have. This is a post-Christian world with a very naturalistic worldview. And because of that, naturalism and humanism always lead to despair. And so it becomes very relevant for us. Because you see what you're looking for. What you see determines who you are. And so here's the bottom line. Change your perspective and you can change your life. This is is the core of it. Change your perspective and you'll change your life. I mean, this is in play in salvation. I was talking to those pastors during one of the question and answers in Africa. You know, we were talking about what's required of salvation, repentance and faith, repentance and faith. And one of the pastors asked the question, uh, why is repentance important? And I I told him, the the word repent in the Greek language, which is what the New Testament was written in, really is a word that means to change your mind, metanoia, Uh, metanoia, naos is mind, change your mind, that's what the whole idea is. And so it works like this, as I am... Walking as a lost person, I'm pursuing the things of sin and death and all that goes along with my selfish behavior, my selfish needs, my my longing for life without God, just filling myself up with every experience I can find. And so I'm pursuing darkness. But then I hear the gospel. And if you remember from our study of Romans, when you hear the gospel, you're called. Now, you may not respond to that call, and if you don't respond to that call, you won't be chosen. Remember, if you hear the call and you choose to follow Christ, you become chosen. Chosen means to be in a privileged position with God. The Jews were the chosen people, not because God said, I want you, 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 but because they were privileged before God. But if I choose not to heed the call, that's why Jesus said, many are called and few are chosen, if I, if I choose not to heed that call, I'll continue in this direction. But if I choose to follow Christ and I hear the gospel, at that moment I stop and I turn around. And the moment I turn around, that's repentance, I begin to walk by faith toward uh, the Lord and toward those things of His life. One of the pastors asked, which comes first, repentance or faith? I said, yes, They said, what do you mean? I said, well, if I'm going this way and I turn around, the moment I turn around, faith occurs. And the moment faith occurs, repentance occurs. I can't turn around from where I was going and turn toward God without both happening simultaneously. And in that moment, my mind changes. Romans 8, 5, and 6 talks about that change and it, it talks about, uh, you know, repentance means to turn from my sin, turn toward faith in Christ. And, and what happens as a consequence of that is my mind, my perspective changes. Romans 8, 5, and 6 says, for those who are according to the flesh, that's another way of saying the natural, those who are according to, to life without God do set their minds on the things of the flesh, on the things of this earth. So their whole perspective is driven by an earthly perspective as Solomon's was in Ecclesiastes. But those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Do you see? And so at the moment of repentance, we have... We have a mind shift. We have a, a paradigm shift. We have a perspective shift. And, and our whole worldview immediately changes that point. Now, I'd love to say, well, that's the end of it. And after that happens, you will forever have this beautiful worldview that's marked by the life in the Spirit. But the truth is, that's not how it works. Because we drift. And we get dragged along in the current of culture. And we get dragged along by the opinions of others And we find ourselves at time being consumed again, even though we're in Christ, even though we have faith in Christ, we find ourselves consumed again with the things of this world and our mind has been inundated with that. And oftentimes we're not even aware of it. So how do I change my perspective? You see what you're looking for. What you see determines who you are. Change your perspective, change your life. How do I do that? I think, first of all, you have to be intentional. You have to be intentional. Here's what, here's what Solomon did. Solomon's talking about all this gloom and despair. He's talking about injustice. He's talking about, you know, good guys do, do bad, bad guys do good. And um, so he's, he's wrapped up in this. But in, in, in chapter 9... He sort of shifts and he sort of gives us this hint toward an intentional way of looking at life. See, even after, after you know Christ, you have to be intentional with your perspective. This is what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 9. He said, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And here's the part to underline. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought Captive to the ability. Now that's intentional. I'm not going to drift into holiness. I'm not going to drift into godliness. I have to intentionally pursue it because the world is intentionally dragging me away from it. The mindset on the flesh, this is Paul says in Romans, is is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. And when you look at Ecclesiastes and you see this mindset on the world, on the flesh, you you realize, man, this is just a, it's like a giant litter box of despair. I mean, look at the second part of chapter 8, verse 10. He says, good people are forgotten. Verse 11, justice isn't quickly executed, so evil spreads. Verse 12, bad people live long lives. Verse 14, good guys have hard times. He kept saying, this is evil, this is evil, this is futility. And then there are all these unanswered questions in verse 16 and 17. He said, I saw every work of God and concluded men cannot understand it. And so he's got all these unresolved issues. He's got unjust outcomes. He's got unanswered questions. His whole perspective is on the nihilism of his time. And that's exactly what's happening in our world right now today. And here's the, here's the bad thing. Solomon had all these horrible thoughts floating around in his head. And here's what you need to realize. We have those same thoughts floating in our head. And what floats in your head sticks to your heart. What floats in your head sticks to your heart. Don't forget that. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. I have taken all this to heart. And your heart can't handle all this. Your heart can't handle all this misery and miserableness and and unanswered questions and, and unjust outcomes and all that stuff. It can't handle it. The Bible says anxiety in the heart of man weighs it down. And so what happens when your heart gets full, when what's floating around in your head sticks in your heart, and your heart gets full of all that stuff. Then you begin to stress and you worry and you fret and you feel angry and frustrated and all the feelings that we see happening. And so you have to be intentional Philippians 4 verse 8, and now brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. In other words, you determine what you let your perspective be. You determine what you let float around in your head and you determine what's ultimately going to stick in your heart. Here's how it works. Amy and I were watching a series on Paramount. It was kind of a turn of the century kind of deal. Super interesting, really well written. And uh, so we're, we're we're watching it. We're sort of carried along with it. We want to know what's happening to, you know, this one brother is over in Africa and this other guy. Then all of a sudden they have this scene, you know, just a quick scene. Young boy falls in love with a girl. They're in a hotel room, quick scene. And we're like, oh. So we fast forward. And we think, well, I'm, I'm carried along by the narrative. I want to stay with this. And so we keep watching. And then a couple of series later, a couple of episodes later, another scene. This one's a little worse. We're like, ooh, I don't want to go there. But I really want to know what happens to, you know, these people that I now care about. And so let's keep watching. And then in episode number seven, it goes pornographic, straight up pornographic. And I went, I'm out. Amy said, I'm out. We're done. We don't care what happens to these people. And, and as I kind of backed away from it and started thinking about the overall tone and tenor of the whole thing, I realized that the people, the protagonists that we're rooting for are really not good people either. I mean, they're killing people and the whole thing's sort of based on vengeance and retaliation and vendetta and all of that stuff. And I realized again, there's really not a good guy in this thing. And I filled my heart up with that. Have you noticed lately through all these series, how seldom there's an actual true good guy? What you wind up rooting for is the less bad guy. Have you noticed I didn't watch Breaking Bad, but I think that was the theme of that. I never watched Dexter, but isn't he a mass murderer? But isn't he the protagonist of the show? Are you rooting for a mass murderer? I want to know, is that how it works? And that's the stuff that we're putting into our heads. And we're allowing that to forge our perspective. You've got to be intentional. And that's where Solomon finally landed. He was finally, man, I've seen all this misery. I've seen all this stuff, but... In chapter nine, he's like, okay, we got to make some choices here. And and flowing out of that is to trust in the sovereignty of God. He says in verse one, there are deeds in the hands of God, and man does not know. And this is a profoundly powerful step toward freedom, acknowledging the sovereignty of God. God knows, so I don't have to know. Uh, God's in control, so I don't have to be. God's powerful, so I don't have to fear. And I'm free from worry and stress. And I realize that nothing happens to me that He doesn't control. What's Isaiah 54, 17 say? No weapons formed against you will stand, will prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, will, will, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is for me, declares the Lord. God has this. Even when life doesn't make sense. I mean, He comes back around in verse 2, He says... He says, here's here's something that I really hate, is the same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonial, clean or unclean, religious or irreligious. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. I mean, there's one fate for the righteous and the wicked, for the clean and the unclean, worshiper and pagan, good and sinner, potty mouth and clean mouth. He says in verse 3, this is an evil. In other words, it seems unfair. And then he here's the whole thing, verse three, the sons of men are full of evil and insanities in their hearts. So he's seeing this and he's going, Man, the good guy and the bad guy, they die alike, they go to the same grave. I mean, it just seems evil, but then there's evil, there's insanity in the hearts of men, and man, is that ever true? I mean, we had no idea how insane men and women can be until the last few years. We are living in insane times. We're living in times where uh, a man can dress up like a woman and be on a swim team and and beat all the women. Uh, we're, We're at a time where men can say they're women and go into teenage girls' locker rooms. And you're like, there's an insanity going on that you're not even allowed to speak to. So what can I do about it? Well, I mean... I can speak truth into it. It's not going to be popular, but I can speak truth into it. I mean, I just said that stuff, and y'all were like, Can he say that? When we can't say that is when we've lost our voice and we've stopped being prophetic. I can pray, I can share the gospel, but here's what I'm not allowed to do I'm not allowed to fret. Psalm 37, one says, do not fret because of evildoers. Don't be envious toward wrongdoers. We live in an insane time. I can pray, I can speak truth, but I can't fret because when I fret, I've assumed responsibility God never intended for me to have. Worry is assuming responsibility God never intended for you to have. He is sovereign. He's got this thing. And so he says to me, die, go on to bed. I've got this covered. Quit worrying. And that frees me me to enjoy the moment. Look, I can live with hope. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 4, there's, there's hope only for the living as they say, it's better to be a, a live dog than a dead lion. That's good counsel, you know. We saw some lions in Africa, and you know, if I had to choose between being a lion or a dog, I'd pick lion. But if I had to choose between being a dead lion or a live dog, I'd pick the dog because the dog still got hope as long as, look, we're all going to die. You know, they just remodeled my my study, and I had to pack up all my books and carry them out. And as I was carrying them out, I thought, you know, someday these things are going to get carried out for the last time. And these books represent my whole life of what I've invested in ministry and, and, and learned and received and taught and all that stuff. And one day we're going to haul it all out, but it's not going to any of my kids' house. They don't want those books. It's going into the dumpster. Because we're all going to die and we're all going to be forgotten and that's just how life is. But not today, not now, not right now. We still got breath in us. Long as we got breath in us, we got hope and I can live with hope and I can live with joy. Notice he says in the next verse, go then eat your bread of happiness and drink your wine. Wait a second. That's not the Baptist version. Let me clean this up. Drink your grape juice (laughs) with a cheerful heart. (laughs) For God, God, we do stuff like that. You know that, don't you? For God has already approved your works. Eat your bread and happiness. Drink your wine with a cheerful heart. Give yourself permission to be happy. See, that's that's an intentional decision about your perspective. Do you see what he's doing? And then he says, I can live in peace. God has already approved your word. I need to accept what God has said about me. The minute I turned from my sin and turned by faith to Jesus, God declared me to be the righteousness of Christ. I didn't earn it. I, I didn't achieve it, I received it. Because of what Christ did on the cross and the grace that was poured out on the cross, that grace was appropriated to my life to cover all my sin and I am, and I am declared to be holy like Christ, which means nothing I do is gonna cause God to love me more and nothing I do will cause Him to love me less. I'm fully pleasing, I'm totally acceptable. I, now, I don't have to live in fear of judgment and condemnation. Now, look, I fear God as I fear of my father because I want to be pleasing to him. But I don't fear the judgment of God because the moment I came into Christ, I passed out of that. Romans 8, verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So live in peace, man, and be happy. Look at what he says in verse 8, let your clothes be white all the time. And when I first read that, I thought that was about holiness because white clothing is sort of a symbol of holiness. And I think that's probably true. But I think there's another intention there, and that is black clothing is is the clothing of mourning. It's the clothing you wear to funerals. White clothes are what you wear to celebrate life. That's what you wear at weddings and stuff like that. He says, put on the white stuff, man. Quit being all morose and downcast and all that stuff. Quit wearing all that dark mourner's clothing. Get rid of your Wednesday Adam clothes and put on some white stuff. Celebrate life. Quit dressing like you're depressed. And let not oil be lacking on your head. Psalm 23, he anoints my head with oil. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the healing that comes through that. And I live in peace with that. Then I live with integrity. Enjoy the wife. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun, for this is your reward in life and, and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. You know, I made a promise to that woman 39 years ago this coming July. And you know what? I can live faithfully with her. This isn't the first time Solomon says this. He says it in Proverbs too. He says, enjoy the wife of your youth and let her breast satisfy you at all times. And there's something there about just, about integrity. I can live with gratitude. Look, Notice he says, which he's given to you. It's all a gift from God. And I can live fervently. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there's no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you're going. I mean, whatever you got to do, man, put some passion in it. Be excellent about it. Don't drift through it. Man, we got so many kids today who are just sort of going through the motions. Man, live with enthusiasm. Live like this is the only life you ever get, because it is. This is not a dress rehearsal. Celebrate it. The Christian life should be a leaping, dancing, joyful life of enthusiasm. And I can live without worry. You see, tomorrow's unpredictable. That's what he says in verse 11. isn't to the swift, and we don't know our time. I'm not saying don't plan. I'm not saying don't prepare. I'm saying don't worry. Jesus said don't worry. Don't take no thought of tomorrow, He said. Don't worry about tomorrow. Here's the thing about tomorrow. It's unpredictable. You can never control it. But the good thing is God already has your future. Let Him fight for your future. Let Him fight for your future. Here's what you're going to discover. When you arrive at your future, you'll find that God was already there. It's all about the sovereignty of God. And that sovereignty of God changes my perspective. It's like I live under Him, I live for Him, and I live in Him. And I don't have to worry about what I can't control, and I don't have to be anxious about what I I can't predict. Because I walk in him. And that means that even when things go away that I didn't predict or plan, I can still go through it with joy. Phil Yancey is, in my opinion, one of the best Christian writers ever. He was the editor of Christianity Today for years. He's marked my life as much as any other writer. I've probably read half a dozen, dozen of his books. I don't even know. He's just, he's just brilliant. And uh, this past week in Christianity Today, Yancey revealed that he has Parkinson's, which is I didn't know, and it's super sad for me. But listen to his perspective on Parkinson's because this is what we're talking about. He said, although I still cringe at the awkward euphemism, differently abled, I better understand it now. The phrase points to the fact that life is patently unfair, that people are unequal in their abilities. Compared to Tom Brady or Venus Williams, we're all athletically disabled. And though Parkinson's may eliminate some of my favorite physical activities, I can enjoy others that a quadriplegic may envy. No two human beings have the same set of abilities, intelligence, appearance, and family background. We can respond to that inequity with resentment or somehow learn to embrace the gifts and disabilities unique to ourselves. In my writing career, I've interviewed US presidents, rock stars, professional athletes, actors, and other celebrities. I've also profiled leprosy patients in India, pastors in prison for their faith in China, women rescued from sex trafficking, parents of children with rare genetic disorders, and many who suffer from diseases far more debilitating than Parkinson's. Reflecting on those two groups, here's what stands out with some exceptions. Those who live with pain and failure tend to be better stewards of their life circumstances than those who live with success and pleasure. Pain redeemed impresses me more than pain removed. My future is full of question marks. I'm not unduly anxious. I have excellent medical care and support from friends. I trust a good and loving God who often chooses to reveal those qualities through his followers on earth. I've written many words on suffering and now I'm being called to put them into practice. May I be a faithful steward of this latest chapter. It's all about perspective. Perspective changes everything. Change your perspective, you change your life. You say, How? How can I do that? You have to be intentional. You have to be willing to change your mind. Sometimes that's a big R repent. You don't know Jesus. You don't know what it's like to have a God that loves you in control of your life. You need to repent. You're moving this way, you're following sin. It's time to turn around and place faith in Christ. That's a big R, repent. But for those of us who've gone through that and we are in relationship with God and we're His children and we've been dragged along by the currents of culture and our minds have become corrupted by those cultures, we need the little R, repent. We need to simply say, God, change my mind. Fill me with those things that are true and noble and loving and honest and wholesome. So that when my life goes in a direction I didn't anticipate, it does not change the perspective that I've chosen to live with because I'm going to live under the sovereignty of God. Is that where you are right now? You want to be? Some of you in this room or who can hear my voice, you need the big R of repentance. You need to say, it's time for me to accept Christ. I want to give you the time to do that. But many of us who already know Jesus, we need that little our repentance. We need to be able to say, God, change my mind because my mind's not where it needs to be. For those who are according to the flesh put their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, this has been such a beautiful, important message for all of us to hear. Solomon, having filled his heart with all these dark things, comes back around and says, I have to intentionally change my mind. I've got to choose joy. I've got to choose happiness. I've got to choose peace. I've got to choose hope. Father, there are many of us who need to make that choice right now. And I pray that you would help us to repent to change our minds. Father, there are many who have never given their life over to Jesus, and they need to repent. Big R, repent. Life change, repent. And I pray in this moment, as they've realized the direction they're going is darkness, it's only gonna get worse, that they would turn their life over fully to the Lordship of Jesus. And God, by faith, trust you for their salvation. And then they can say, I'm going to believe what God says about me. I'm totally acceptable. I'm righteous like Christ. Nothing I do would cause Him to love me more. We thank you for that love. We thank you for forgiveness that comes through Jesus alone. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.